0: Hello and welcome to our time together tonight and I want to get right to this text that is really the beginning of these verses that we're going to be with for the next number of weeks. It is in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and of course we've seen that in verse 1 of chapter 5 that Jesus went up the mountain and had this private chat with his disciples. And the first thing he said to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There you have it. We're in. We've started. That's the first of what has been termed the Beatitudes, which I said before is, um, I think, an unfortunate title. Why not just leave it as a chat that Jesus had with the disciples? But this first one, um, frankly, it it sounds very negative. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And of course, um, religion has really run with that because there's there's an undergirding idea that if you're going to be godly then you've got to be living in abject poverty. I'm sure you've noticed that. Uh, certainly in movies, especially if they've been produced by a church, that the uh, lead characters of godliness always look uh, sort of poor. They, they get their clothes from uh, the Salvation Army and they look half-starved and probably sick. And um, they're portrayed, that's a saint, well uh and of course they take this verse this verse becomes that's what it's all about you see blessed are the poor in spirit um so is jesus saying that blessing and remember what i said last week this is the most intense word that you could use for joy it means joy that is abundant amazing In fact, it would describe living in a state of bliss. Is Jesus saying that that sort of life is defined by living in abject poverty? Sounds depressing. Does not sound like blessing, that's for sure. Um, No, I think we've got to take a long look at this. Stand back. This, uh, it's the first statement of Jesus that we have at least um, in Matthew's Gospel, Um, and it is the beginning of something utterly new. I I can't emphasize enough. This was the dawning of the new day. If you go back into chapter 4, it quotes an Old Testament prophecy saying that as Jesus walked in the Galilee, that it fulfilled a prophecy that says that this great light has dawned. Well, that that's true. This was the dawning of a new day. It was the great light that was dawning upon the world. And it began with this shaft of light in the Galilee. This was the beginning of a new creation. And a new creation is not the patching up of the old. It is so new that I say that it is the upside-down world of the gospel. You might remember in the Acts of the Apostles when they went to, uh, was it Thessalonica, that the people there said that the men that have turned the world upside down have come here. Yes, that's a jolly good expression. We are the people that have turned the world upside down. That things that we have assumed as final truths, have been discovered to be lies and we turn it upside down and we introduce a new creation, a new world. That's the gospel. And I say again, it isn't that it just makes our present existence a little bit better. It doesn't put band-aids on our problems. Rather, he introduces us to a newness that we have never seen or thought of before. This is blessing, and this, this first one, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, this obviously is the portal, this is the gateway into this blessed life, and this blessing is not just so that you feel happy. Uh, Oh, well, I mean, this is joy, and joy is intensely personal, but it is so personal that it erupts. It's like an artesian well that goes out through you to the world. You are blessed not just to sit in your corner blessed, but to bless the world. This is the foundation of evangelism. Not not getting a little formula that you ram down the throat of your neighbor, but by living a life so incredibly blessed that people have to ask, who is this God that does such things? Psalm 67 and in the first couple of verses, listen carefully. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, which you might remember is a phrase of the original blessing that God gives in Numbers chapter 6. So he's speaking here of God be gracious to him, bless us. Let your face shine upon us, which means a grin from ear to ear, the shining face of delight. Well, for what? goes on. That thy way, the way of God, may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. Did you get it? It says that His grace seen in you His blessing in you, upon you, His face shining with delight upon you, causes the way of God to be known on the earth and His salvation to all the nations. So this is not only going to transform your life, it's going to be the means of bringing salvation to all who see you. This is this is the impact that this measurable blessing has upon you and the world. So let's get to it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, let's dig ourselves a bit deeper. What does this word "poor" mean? In in the Scripture, it um, is a little stronger than what we would say in English. It means an absolute lack of resources. I suppose you could say bankruptcy of the core person. Yes, poor. We're not talking about just a, a few few dollars short. It, it means an absolute. It, it's sort of final. You stand at the grave of resources. It's over. You don't have anything. That's what it means. Again, that does not sound very blessed. No, we've got to look through this through the lens of Jesus. Or shall I say, look at what is just being said by Jesus and look at it through his eyes. Understand it through his mind. Because he is saying that whatever this is all about is the very foundation of a joy-filled life. Okay, let me say this as clear as I know how. Poor in spirit, listen so carefully. We were created poor in spirit. And having thus created us, God looked and said, it is good. Did you get that? If you want to underline anything, underline that in purple. You see, when God created human, we were created in the way this word means. Created poor in spirit. And that was not a bad thing. That was not because there was something wrong. God looked at humankind in that fashion and said, it is good. What am I saying? I am saying we were created... I must. This is the way God wanted us to be. He created us this way. We were created with no resources within ourselves to live the life that God created us to live. Did you get that? We were created. It, it's. It's. This is the standard. This is. This is what a real human being looks like no resources within the created self to live this incredible life that God intended. The life, I might say, which right there in Genesis one twenty-six, right at the creation of humankind, there it says, God blessed them. And so this being poor in spirit, attached to incredible blessing, is right there from the very creation of humankind. What does that mean? Yeah, you see, it's got. A, I said it's the upside-down world, um, because we were created to be containers. You know, a cup or a vessel, if you want to. In fact, the New Testament calls it an old clay pot. Whatever way you want to look at it, we're containers. Something is put into containers. Containers are the receptacles. They receive that which they contain. And we were created to be containers. That is, we were created. Every part of our being, our inmost soul, spirit, uh, the very organs of our body. We were created to be containers of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the meaning of life. So it means then we had to be created empty in ourselves. Totally empty. Absolutely empty. Empty of ourselves in terms of I don't go into myself to draw resources in which to fully live this life. Rather, I recognize I am a receptacle to contain the glory of God's love and strength and wisdom and ability so that my life, which is genuinely my life, yet it was to be drawn from the other source of the Creator, Jesus the Christ. So, I contain him in order to reveal him in all my life through the Spirit. And so, life would be a relationship lived out. Life would be fully me living, and yet, at the same time, another is my source. Another is life within me, And yet we are so utterly one. I live, but I'm a container of another. And in being a container and express that one in all that I do, at the same time, I am living in fellowship and hilarious friendship with that person. So within myself, I am living in relationship, fellowship, friendship. With the Holy Spirit, who reveals Jesus, who is in the Father, and and, and that that's being fully alive. I, I suppose you could. I've been using the word container. Um, let, let's get very mundane. Uh, you see, the the cup, that cup the, the, that's there, there on your table. That that cup is a receptacle. It's a container, and. The the cup, in order to be the cup, must simply be available to receive that which it contains. And so you pour the coffee into the cup. And it's interesting, once that is done, someone will say, pass the coffee. Um, Just a minute, you didn't say pass that beautiful cup with all the designs on it. No, the cup in that sense has been swallowed up in what it contains. And so you pass the cup, but in actual fact you're passing the coffee because that's what the cup was all about. When you have friends around, you do not pass out cups to be admired. You pass out cups that have something in them, and that's what it's all about. That's you. Do you understand? That's you. You are this incredible creature. You're a made thing. God made you, but he made you to contain himself, and yet not as a robot, but that you, in all you do, you should be revealing and expressing and living out from this friendship with the God who dwells within you. Which means, of course, we were created then to rely upon him. If there's nothing to draw from within me, I rely upon him. I trust him. I depend on him for everything that makes for life. I am aware that I am supported with his strength, his provision, his protection. Life is this togetherness with God, and it's not a put-on. I don't know how to say it any differently. You know the sort of people that go around, and they're so wanting you to know that God is their strength and their provision and protection that you, you, you wonder where they fit in. It's, it's that funny person that stands up and they bless you with their singing. And then when you say, thank you, they say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You say, well, so silly, I saw you singing. Um, no, this is such a unity. I live, I live, and I don't keep on reminding everybody it's not me, because it is me. And yet I know I live with a wink, because I live, yet it's not I, it's Christ. That lives in me. That's how we were created to be. So you see, poor in spirit. Yes, out of my emptiness, but filled with his glory. That's where all of life flows from. All of life. To every member of my body. You understand? And so my mind is affected. I I my mind it says in fact we have the mind of Christ and yet I'm I'm thinking I'm desiring I'm imagining I'm feeling and yet and yet there's another within me you see even the functioning organs of my body it's fitted for for Christ to live in have you ever thought of the fact of the incarnation that your body is so fantastic so incredible that, that God the Son could come and take up residence within a body just like yours, and he still has it, and he's never going to get rid of it. God can function perfectly well inside your body. Wow. So every part is fashioned to contain and glorify God. That's why in creation we were created, says Genesis 1, in the image of God. And by that, it doesn't mean you stand in front of a mirror and sort of you see God or something, reflection. No, you're not a reflection. It says you're made in his image. Well, only God can image God. And as you see, it's impossible to be fully human, to be blessed and to image God without this union of my emptiness filled and filled with his fullness. Ah, oh, but then what? What? How do we get to where we are today? Sin, you see, and, and sin wasn't just uh, doing bad things. That all came later. The bad things we do and say—they um, all come from what we're talking about. This this relationship only sin ha- has messed it all up. You see, at the heart of sin is the lie. That's what Jesus said. Satan was the liar and he was the father of the lie. The lie which was spoken to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. And that lie which was assimilated and believed and trusted in, blinded them and the race that came out of them to this created good position of being a container dependent in fact the lie authorized something that had never been known before independence i'll do my own thing i'm the master of my life what's happened now there's a belief you see satan said you shall be as god What's that in the light of what we just said? Satan was saying, you shall be not merely the container. You will be the contained. He convinced the coffee cup that it was the coffee. That's very frustrating if you're a cup because you're not the coffee, you see. You're not. You're you're the cup. And yet Satan says, you shall be as God. That is, you shall be... Well, you'll be the meaning of everything. It's all about you. Uh, Within you, said Satan, are all the resources to live. Within you, all the wisdom to know what life is about. Another phrase was invented that day called self-sufficient. Say, I I can do it. I've got it. Um, It's all wrapped up there deep inside my little cup uh, somewhere. I've got it. I can be coffee, I can be coffee, I can be coffee. All of life, said Satan, is within you. So he turned the created truth on its head and said, in effect, blessed are the independent. Blessed are those that have got it all together. Blessed are those that are self-sufficient. And of course, that was passed on, wasn't it? Over the millennia. So that's what we were taught when we were growing up. You've got it. You can do it. It's all in you. This brings up an important point. It means that being poor in spirit is not the result of sin. See, I've, I've... Well... Do I have to go into it? The the people, you know, hang your head, beat yourself and say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, and think that means you're poor in spirit. No, 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 no. Poor in spirit it is this magnificent creature that knows that they are created for and live in the fullness of another living in them. It's not the result of sin. Sin, you could define sin as actually fleeing from being poor in spirit sin is terrified of being poor in spirit what what is the flesh all about this word flesh it means this stuff this is where the meaning of your life is right here uh, and flesh is ashamed of any inability oh you could never say that, that i I don't have the resources of that in myself, no you you couldn't and no the flesh won't say that flesh is terrified of that, actually. Uh, flesh looks upon that as facing a sort of death, so it lives behind masks or oh, mask upon mask, depending on who you're with, struggling for acceptance, you know, wanting everybody's smile, everybody to say you're a success, you've got it, you've made it and carry that same thing to God. Look what I did. I must be acceptable to you. Look how strong I am. Look how I... No, you got it all wrong, see. Poor in spirit didn't come in with sin. Sin tried to get rid of it. So, we, we it's terrified. The, the, the flesh is terrified of anything, any situation, any circumstance, or any person that would reveal the real emptiness you know something happens and right in that moment because of that happening you're exposed you don't have what it takes to handle it somebody says this or says that and immediately exposure is at hand that you'll be found out that you're not what you are trying to show yourself to be and that results in all the anxiety worry and panic in this world. Poor in spirit, you see, is humility. That would be another way of saying it, except religion has hijacked the word word, humility. So here we go again. What's humility? Oh, I'm unworthy. I'm no good. I'm no good. That's not humility. That's a form of pride, actually. No, humility is not self-demeaning, self-despising, self-hating. Because uh, many truly religious people are full of self-hate, disgusted with themselves. It's not a pretense of being worthless. Nor is humility comparing yourself to others and saying, I'm not like them, and therefore I'm no good. That's like a, cup of coffee being all upset because they're not like the cup of cocoa. Uh, it's, uh, no, it's no know that you, you've missed the point. See what is humility? Hear me carefully, humility is knowing who you are in relation to God and to others. That is, you know that you are a container of God's glory. You know that, and you know that that's who you are, nothing more than that and nothing less than that. That's who you are, and who you are is who you are. That is your identity, that's humility, that I can look you in the face if we were discussing these things and say that I know who I am, that Christ is my life, Christ is my work, Christ is my uprising and down God. He's everything. Christ is my life, and that's who I am, and the glory of God is in me, and the light of God is in me. That's who I am. That's humility. It, it is knowing that in my emptiness... Well, my emptiness has been swallowed up by he who lives within. And so humility is knowing and resting in the final fact. Christ is my life. So, of course, and this is only an aside, but repentance is getting this right. Repentance is that radical change of mind that recognizes that Christ is my life. And every other thought I had before that, birthed of independence and do-it-yourself, no, that was all part of the lie. It's a radical change of mind. In fact, it's an exchange of mind. I, I received the mind of Christ to see myself in relation to God and myself in relation to my world in a totally different way. So we we don't go around calling ourselves unworthy. That, that, That means that God's work of salvation didn't amount to much. Rather, we focus not on I am not, which I said a moment ago, that's actually pride, you know. But when you say, I am not, with that sort of self-demeaning, bordering on self-hate, I'm not, I cannot, um, where's that come from? It's actually coming from the pride that believes that one should, as a God, as Satan said, I should be able to be this, I should be able to do that. But I can't, I am not, I'm no good. Therefore, I despise myself and say I'm not worthy. Do you see what I mean? Okay, do you remember back in Numbers, that very famous, I mean, I preached on it I don't know how many times, when the Israelites looked at the giants of Canaan and said that we were grasshoppers in their sight. Well, that's not humility. That's not humility at all. It's actually the thought, I ought to be a giant, but I failed. Therefore, I'm worthless and despicable in my own eyes. Well, no, you see, God had already said that he in them would overcome all that stood in their pathway. They overlooked that, looked at themselves and said, I'm not a giant and I should be because Satan said I should be a god and therefore I hate myself for not being what I could. You see what I mean. No, poor in spirit, rejoices in being the container, focuses on the one who fills us, and that's where worship comes from. That's where delight in God comes from. That's where praise, thanks. We, we expect of his continual life within us, for he has given himself away to us, and we walk out every day to act as if this is true. I think one of the best definitions of this poor in spirit is in 2 Corinthians 12 and beginning possibly verse 8. You remember, it's a thorn in the flesh which I will not go into now except to say it's not sickness. But um, he writes about this thing that was happening to him. There was like a thorn cutting into his side. And he said, concerning this I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Which is to say, we we. I mean, when he says three times, he wasn't counting. It's over and over and over again. He asked the Lord to get rid of this thorn. And the Lord said to Paul, he said, My grace is sufficient for you. Listen to this. For my power is perfected in weakness. Did you get it? This is what Jesus is saying here. Exactly. My grace is sufficient. That is, my grace fills your cup. And my power, my grace, my love power is seen to perfection in your weakness. The deeper your cup, the more the coffee, you see. So, Paul got it. I got it, he said. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, poor in spirit, in order that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And again, without going into it, that expression, the power of Christ may dwell in me, um, that phrase in the original language means may come over me like a tent so that he fills me and I am contained in him. Christ is all and in all, says another scripture. And and, and therefore, that that's what it is, power in spirit. And this union that I'm talking about, container is one I've been using all the way through, but really, although that helps a lot of people, um. It's not an organic union, whereas the union I'm talking about is organic, that it is a complete fullness, God in Christ by His Holy Spirit in the fullness of who He is, matching our created emptiness so that He fills me and now you cannot really tell the difference and that's why I said you don't go around making that difference and saying well it wasn't me it was the Lord then who on earth is me you know it Christ is your life and 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 he has become one with you and you one with him he never becomes you you never become him but it is a perfect complete Union, so that the poor in spirit is swallowed up in the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. See, I say it again. He did not come to improve and strengthen your flesh that it might be strong in itself. Boy, is that a satanic lie. Did you hear me? You see, the flesh believes, even though it's but a container, that it is the contained if it works at it. And there is much that goes forth today in the name of Christianity that says that Jesus came to improve that flesh. He came to give me the strength. If I try hard enough, I can be like him, you see. And it appeals to my created flesh self that, that you know, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Well, can you really criticize that? That sounds a jolly good idea. Except. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it is death. He didn't come so that you could try and be like him. He didn't come so that you would be some sort of follower of him. He came to actually unite with you so that he's in you and you're in him. And to meet you, I'm not aware that there's two of you. Like the Holy Trinity, Father in the Son, in the Spirit, Spirit in the Son, in the Father. And we say one God. Yet there's three persons. Um, And so now you have been brought into a similar relationship. Christ says that, I mean, listen to what the epistle says. Christ, who is our life? Come on, weigh, weigh, weigh that with me. Come on. And put your name in there. Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit Christ who is put your name in my life so he doesn't give you a thing called life he did you follow me he, he he doesn't stand over here and give you something Look, put it this way. If you said, would you give me that New Testament? Yes, I can do that. I I can give you that New Testament. But if you say to me, would you give me your heart? Uh, No. I, I don't cut out bits of me to give to you. If I give you my heart, I must join myself to your life forever. Christ Jesus is the life of God Inside our humanity. He is our life. Who it says, who is our life? It's not a what, it's not an it. Jesus the Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is our life. That means He has joined to you. So that again, Galatians, what is it, 220, that I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. Or again, he says in Philippians 1 For me to live is Christ. That's poor in spirit. Because Christ lives in the one who has recognized that I was created. So abjectly empty, so that Christ could fill that emptiness. And he goes on immediately, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in, just uh, very much an aside, in some of the Gospels it says kingdom of God, here it says kingdom of heaven. Uh, That is because the Jewish people of that day uh, were very, very, very uh, afraid of using the name of God. And so they substituted that for heaven many times. And you have that here. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is to say that place that is filled with the fullness of God. Kingdom of heaven. What, What is the kingdom of heaven? It is not geography, that is, there's no place that's got, uh, you know, geographical boundaries. There's no place that's, you know, so many miles across. There's not that sort of location. And and nor is the kingdom of God to be found in a, a sort of, I'll say, put it in parentheses. I when we're a godly political system. There's no such thing. Um, God certainly has a place. Certainly, it says he turns the heart to the king, but he's not part of any political system. A political system is not the kingdom of God. And nor do we look for a day when a corporation will be the kingdom of God, nor a city or anything like that? Now, where's even the fact come from, a kingdom of God? Well, the term Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew term Messiah. And Messiah, if you trace the history of that word, goes back to David. David. Messiah became the term used for the kings of Israel, David being the only one that really was an image of what it meant. But it meant the Holy Spirit came upon David and made him the king. And he was, therefore, the Messiah, the anointed one, which is translating both those words into English, the anointed one to be the king of that people and they were in the Old Testament the people of God on earth where the wisdom of God and the revelation of God came through them and so the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament overseen by the appointed king Messiah was the kingdom of God on earth although everybody knew it was a very faulty picture of that. And so they expected, in prophecy, they expected a Messiah, the final Messiah, the absolute king who really was the one who would reign from God. And he would have his domain, and they called that domain the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus is that king, and therefore he's that Messiah But of course, it didn't turn out the way everybody expected. They thought it would be a geographical sort of thing. And Jesus would reign in Jerusalem and there'd be boundaries and border posts and he'd kill all his enemies. But no, he introduced, yeah, upside down, he introduced something totally other And by putting these two together here, the poor in spirit with the kingdom of God, that says it. Because you see, Jesus being king and kingdom is, he is united in the way I've just described to all who believe into him. He's united with them through the Holy Spirit to the point where it says that we sit with him in heavenly places see it says in romans 14:17 that the kingdom of god is not eating and drinking that is the kingdom of god is not a set of rules it's it's not a denomination it's not a cult it's it's not people who eat certain things and drink or not drink certain things the kingdom of god it says is righteousness which is an old Hebrew word meaning to walk in harmony of covenant. It means two persons walking together in covenant. So the kingdom of God is persons who walk together in covenant, and shalom, which is the word that describes the peace of God that passes all human comprehension, and joy this joy we're talking of, the blessedness, and all that to be found in the Holy Spirit who is the presence of Jesus in us in this moment in which I speak. So the kingdom of God is living in covenant relationship, in divine peace, and in supernatural joy in the Holy Spirit who unites you with Jesus in this moment. That's what the kingdom of God. So I say again, the kingdom of God isn't trying to be like Jesus or to be his follower. Rather, it is being in, in that container which is united. It is that organic relationship where the person of Jesus is united to my person through the Holy Spirit. I live, yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. The result, speaking thus of the kingdom of God, one John two six, the one who says he abides in Him or lives in Him, in what we're talking about here, ought himself also to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, there you got it, don't you see? One who says that you live in Him and He lives in you—that's the—that's the kingdom of God. Well, then. You walk on this earth the same way as he walked. Now, see, when I say that, I can almost hear the, the anguish of religion going on, that I've got to try harder. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, and all that religious anxiety, I've got to try and try and be and walk as he walked. I go back and start this all over again. You see, that is the cup talking that hasn't yet discovered that it is only a container. How do you think that we walk as Jesus walked? There's only one person who can walk as Jesus walked, and that's Jesus. And the Christian life is, stop your trying. And rest into the glorious fact that he is the only one who can live this Christian life. And he comes to live inside of me. Well, try on 1 John four sixteen. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides or lives inside of love lives inside of God. And God lives inside of him. By this, love is perfectly matured with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That is, there's no more fear of judgment. We're embraced in the love of God. But then it finishes up, Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you get it? Or what about Philippians 4, 13? You know this one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, there you have it, you see. (laughs) That that Paul who just wrote that, he is poor in spirit, but he is completely absorbed with the person who fills him. And so he says, I can do all things. he's, He's talking now not as an empty cup. He's talking of through him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's where we come to the organic part of this relationship. The Amplified New Testament says it perfectly. The Amplified amplifies the Greek language there. And he says, I have strength for all things, In Christ who empowers me, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I I think really, I mean, can I say it any plainer? I used an illustration many years ago. You you might have heard it recently if you've listened to some of those old series that come from those many days ago. But really, that illustration brought more people into liberty. So forgive me for using it one more time. That when you make a cup of tea, how do you begin? You have a Cup a receptacle, and the cup is is full of hot water, which you might as well say is empty because uh, it's 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 just plain tasteless water in a receptacle. But then you take a tea bag that's full of tea leaves, and you put it into the hot water. And I don't know if you, uh, for all the years I've lived here, I'm not sure how you describe what happens then, Um, because really, stateside people really don't know how to make a cup of tea. That's reserved for the English. But um, we say back in England that the tea is fusing. We actually use that word. As the tea leaves are in the hot water, we use the term fuse. It's fusing, and what happens? But the the actual strengths of those tea leaves now come out of the bag into the hot water, and, and until the hot water really has disappeared, of well, course it hasn't, but it, it it's now completely darkened by the color of the tea, and. Well, you say then the water has become the tea. No, it hasn't because you take the tea out in that case. So there's the tea and there's the cup of hot water. Only now it is so fused or infused with the tea that you drink it and say, this is a good cup of tea. So you see what I mean? The fusion means that the tastelessness has been fused together with tea to the point where we no longer call it hot water. We call it tea. But it isn't. The tea is still in the bag. Do you realize, little receptacle that you are, and the best you can produce is hot water, tasteless, but Jesus through the Holy Spirit has come into you and has fused your life with His life and His strength so that now for you to be, to live is Christ. What a thought. What a thought. And so... Only those who are poor in spirit can even know what I'm talking about right now. Because if we're not poor in spirit, we think we've got to produce it in ourselves. And that's why the flesh is at continual war with the grace of God. Because they cannot see the whole thing from beginning to end is God's gift. That, that's why religion calls us heretics because we are saying these unspeakable things that fill and undergird the entire Bible. I cannot explain this Christian life on the foundation of what flesh has become since sin entered. No, because flesh, I say again, flees away from poor in spirit. It's terrified of it. But we have come to that incredible rest where we've embraced this impossible life. And we know it is impossible. Jesus said it's impossible for you to live this. As surely as it's impossible for the cup to produce the coffee. But just relax then. Snuggle up into the impossible. And let the Holy Spirit be within you the very life of Jesus. And you will is the kingdom of God. I say, say, is it, because that's what it says. For there is the kingdom of God. This isn't something that's going to happen after you die, nor is it some special time at the end of all times. No, it's present tense. It is. While you're right there working in that corporation, while you're right there in the house of representatives, while you're sitting there in education, while you're constructing that building, while you're doing the housework, you is the kingdom of God. That is, you are the presence of Jesus in that place where you live. He blesses you so that the world might know the ways of God. Well, what do I say? Be still. What we've said tonight, don't get distracted. Don't, don't. You've you got to be still. And ask and let the Holy Spirit open your eyes, your inside eyes, to see, and not only to see, but to revel in your creature weakness. I remember when I first got this decades ago. I I remember it. Um, And it was on that verse I quoted a moment ago where the disciples, when they began just to touch what this was about, they'd look in horror at Jesus said, who then can be saved? And Jesus, it says, looking on them as if, boys, you're not going to believe this. He looked on them and says, with men, with human beings, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And, and when, I, when the Holy Spirit made that alive to me, salvation with human persons, it's impossible. That was a moment, life-changing. It's impossible. Then why do I keep trying? If Jesus said it's impossible, then let me revel in the impossible. Let me relax and say I can't do this. Let me declare my creature bankruptcy in order that in the same instant I might then receive the possible of God who is Christ my life through the Holy Spirit rest into that impossible snuggle down into it revel in it laugh in it delight in it hug it it's impossible then why are you trying rather accept your poverty of spirit and in the same breath accept the fullness of God in Jesus Christ to live and be your life be the all in your all so be still Because you don't get that in a second. Be still. And never again define your life by comparison with another. It's time that's over. You're not comparing yourself to others. You're not looking at someone that you perceive as some giant of the faith and say, well, I'm no good, I'm not like them. No, you're not like them. You are so unique. There's not another container like you. It means that Jesus shall be seen in you as he could not be seen in anyone else. I I saw the stupidity of this at one time when I was um, with a pastor who really was a pastor. You know, got the gift um, to love on people and shepherd them and be there with them in their need. And see, I, I, I find that difficult. I, I can talk to eighty thousand people, but to to be a pastor, I, that no, I don't fit there. And, and I found myself giving him such admiration, um, saying, you know, he was such a such a man of God that he he had such a gift, and to the point where I was on the verge of despising what I was doing. And as the conversation went on, he was sitting there doing the same thing. And he was looking at God's gifting in me and and looking at himself as a no good nothing because he couldn't do what I was doing. Then we just laughed at each other. How stupid. Each one in our uniqueness. It takes a lot of us put together to reveal the whole Jesus. And you in your little life that you believe has no effect in the world whatsoever. Look, you're a unique container. You are a unique vine that produces the unique grape of the presence of Jesus as he could not be through anybody else. So rest, rejoice in your uniqueness. There's nobody else better than you. That's all satanic lies. He is unique in you to the point I could not live your life. Be still. And no longer then fall apart when you come up against a situation that you feel your weakness. That is a situation that you realize I've got no resources for this. I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to turn. Don't let that become anxiety don't let it be a threat it is the opportunity for the glory of christ in you to be seen in you and through you and for him to be your wisdom in this moment and so in all these cases learn to have that inner conversation that goes on all the time lord jesus you are my love for this person You are my joy in this moment. You are my wisdom. And let this life open up and discover the incredible joy of living in that rest, that knowing your life you're living is impossible because you're poor in spirit and that's how God created you in order that his possible might be abundant and amazing in you and through you. Blessed, oh, so blessed to be envied are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon you, granting you inner sight and inner hearing that you might discover who you truly are and go your way this week rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory that Christ is your life and that the life you now live is woven together with his. So I now bless you. That is the way it is.